Let's get ready to shift our shit with the SOS podcast featuring Megan Bartley and Rob Giltner. Good morning, good day, good afternoon, wherever or however, whenever you're listening to this. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Shit. I'm Rob, as always, joined by Megan. And Megan, if today or this morning was an animal, what animal would it be? Oh, I don't know. It feels a little bit like a squirrel. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's the first thing. A squirrel or like a bunny rabbit. I don't know. Those are kind of two different sort of a little fluffy depends on how distracted i don't feel super distracted this morning which would seem more like a squirrel what about for you um i, I would say almost like a prairie dog that's like okay i need to uh, you know get in my hole or whatever they do down there and focus then also looking over your shoulder it's it's a busy day in a busy week and looking at okay what about over, over this over here is everything are there any fires out over there and I come back down and yeah. do my little hole. And so I, I maybe kind of like that. Uh, yeah. A like lot, lot on the mind. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> this, this, today, this week. But, well, we're, we're talking about before we went live, this is a fast time of year. Things seem to move quickly. After Halloween, we have Thanksgiving, obviously, and then Christmas or other holidays, whatever, if we're celebrating anything else. Um, I know there's other holidays in there, but things seem to move quickly. We were just talking about that and wondering if that's something you align with. And well, what what do you think of maybe time and how we understand it and how maybe quick it does move when we have some yes. stressors or just big events? Yes. Well, I think, you know, it does feel like once the kids start school and then those holidays kick in, it feels like it's a, just a slippery slope into the new year. Right. And I've heard many people make that same comment. And, you know, I, I, it's interesting where we're thinking through like time feeling like it's moving very slowly and time feeling like it's moving quickly. And I don't know, you know, I, I hear people talk about it, especially in relationship to kids, where, you know, when you have a baby, everything feels like it's kind of moving really slowly. Uh, at first and then you know once they get into school it sort of just speeds up and you're just like you're in a new year you're in a new grade and it just gets quicker so i thought it'd be fun along with this because this is a fun interesting time of year and an interesting topic is kind of also talking about the idea of time distortion and how we can even maybe use that to our benefit because you know i think i've said before that i I dig the idea of quantum physics and, you know, there's some interesting things in there of this idea of there's no such thing as time and space, which, you know, I guess you could interpret that a lot of different ways. But, you know, one thing we use in Ericksonian hypnosis and in therapy in general is um, one visualizations, right, which might take us into the future um, and you know, being able to visualize what we want to happen. A lot of times it's it's said that anything that happens in the physical happens in the mind first, right? So that we have to be able to see it and, you know, project it forward to say, this is where I want to go or what I want to do, what I want to accomplish um, has to first be created in the mind. Um, mm -hmm. 
So that's one thing. And then we can also look backwards and we can think about, you know, what would, what advice would I give my 10 year old self or 12 year old self or 18 year old self, right? And sort of, um, or what, what would my 18 year old self say to me now? Or, yeah, you know, that I like kind of that. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. well, what I was well, yeah, yeah, I, I, it's it's a, there's a lot of thoughts, a lot of conceptualized, and I but I was just gonna say I love the thoughts, the you know the back and forth of what would you want to say to your ten year old self or advice or you know what would your ten year old self want to tell tell us? But if if I'm speaking of ten year old, if I'm a ten year old, how would you make sense or educate me on what is time distortion? <laughs> Um, well, that's interesting you say that because my almost 10 year old, uh, was <laughs> chatting with me yesterday and she told me this whole story about her life as an adult. Like she was oh, like, cool. I'm going to live, I'm going to live in New York city. And this is where my, this is what my apartment's going to look like. And this is who I'm going to be with. And this is what I'm going to be doing for school or job. And I mean, she went on and on. I almost wish I had like audio recorded or video recorded it so that I could see <laughs> if it actually mm -hmm. came to fruition. Because, you know, there's things I think about. Uh, I'm getting off topic here, I know. But think about, you know, if when I was 10, what did I think my life would be like when I was 45, you know? But mm -hmm. I think, you know, no such thing as time or space for a 10-year-old is you know, I think just that, that describing to them of, you know, it feels right now, like you're living in a 10 year old world or body or time. Uh, but, you know, can you also remember and priority of it's probably memory, but, um, you know, still holding on to what it was like to be eight or seven or whatever, they might not remember way far back, but, you know, mm -hmm. and it kind of, bring themselves into the future to say, you know, what do you think you're going to study in college or what kind of job do you think you might want to have? Or, you know, do you see yourself, whatever. And so I don't know. That's a hard one. It is hard. I think it's more about describing it of like, what would, hmm. what would it be versus like a hardcore definition? And then where does distortion come in? Is that you know, there's plenty of things I'm sure that could distort our understanding of time or whenever time, whatever future, past, present, whatever it might be. So what are those distortions? Well, I mean, I think it's like something I do with clients and maybe I'm misnaming this. I don't know. But a lot of times I'll say to people who are stuck right now who think, OK, I've got to make this huge decision right now. And I'll say, what would your 80-year-old self, what advice would your 80-year-old self give you? So you're sort of distorting this time that really right now, it, you know, I'm sitting here at 45 or 50 or whatever, you know, but <clears throat> oftentimes they can go right there. You know, they go right there. And I know there's other ways to go about this and you probably do more <clears throat> guided things, but I just kind of ask these questions about, and oftentimes, you know, a person's eight-year-old self is like, it doesn't matter. You know, like mm -hmm. this thing feels like it's so big right now, but in the grand scheme of things, or there's a real sense of clarity around 
you need to get out of this relationship now, or, you know, you need to make a move now or change jobs now or whatever the thing is, you know, that um, they're trying to make the decision right now. But, mm-hmm. you know, what in 40 years, 50 years or whatever, you know, how is it going to matter then? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I do that. I've had a couple like... 20 something year olds, you know, where they're like making these big life decisions around, you know, do I go to graduate school or do I not go to graduate school? Do I take, you know, I, I'm working here in this job to make money, but really my, my goal is to go over here and be creative and do this other thing. So I, you know, sort of do this with them. And they even can see already, like when I'm 35, I imagine I'm doing this. And then when I'm 50, I imagine I'm doing this, you know, and this is so, you know, I'm like, well, okay. then you bring yourself back to right now, you know, putting one step in front of the other of making those things happen appropriately. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Does that answer it? I know you you probably do it a little differently, maybe. Well, you know, maybe, maybe not. It, it kind of just depends on how the mood might strike me. But what uh, if, if I'm kind of listening to this and again, kind of just learning. And maybe this is not even a right term to use with it, but what how can I have healthy time distortion? Well, that's I think that's how I define this is sort of like mm-hmm. thinking ahead. I, I don't. OK, I I. Or looking so, so, back. So thinking back. ahead and planning it out, kind of like the you're talking with the 20 year olds, that is kind of what you kind of are insinuating we want to do. We want to kind of visualize. Yeah. Because mm, gotcha. part of this, I know, I know that, you know, sometimes we're thought of, and I've done this before, uh, you know, the idea that memory is unreliable, right? So, like mm-hmm. in Ericksonian hypnosis, I think sometimes the thought is that you know, we're going to bring a person back to a certain time. And I, there is a little, I've done this before where there's like, you know, something that needs to be reprocessed, uh, but you have to do it really delicately depending on whatever it is, but it can be really powerful, especially when it's not, you're not in a very conscious thinking, you know, you have to really be, have this layer removed, but, um, I don't know. I, I I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm totally botching the idea of time distortion, but I'm just going with what you know I define it as. Yeah, and then it reminds me of another uh, John Lentz. Uh, you know, ninety percent sure is John Lentz, but it is Ericksonian uh, kind of uh, activity that he did at a training that I really appreciate and I do it very often and that's kind of getting in this trance this meditative place and meeting your future self because in that moment you're kind of having a conversation with your subconscious and what is you know trances and meditation is a great way to do that i think it's one of the purposes of 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 that one not the but one of them and and within that i kind of like to say it's like opening up the hood to our minds and seeing where the subconscious is maybe trying to naturally um, guide us to. And I like to use, and I think I have on here, the example of kind of like an automatic pilot flying to New York to Los Angeles. There's things that can happen that can knock us off course. There's turbulence. Yeah. Sometimes we make an emergency landing or we call an audible and we have to go a different direction. But 
it doesn't always happen, but the, the, the subconscious is trying to guide us if we're leaving New York to, to land at LA. And, and that, that perspective of this future self can kind of, I think, destabilize the urgency and the cloudiness and the uncertainty of the here and now that maybe we kind of distort time. I, I, when you kind of mentioned time distortion, I saw that maybe as a negative thing because maybe my association to distortion is something not good. Like it, a distorted image that you can't see it clearly. And that really connects then with what you're talking about of, you know, seeing things through and kind of getting different perspectives from the older and the younger that that's clarity. And the, one of the purposes of that meeting your future self exercise is clarity. And so an antidote to this distortion, but I guess if, if, if I'm thinking as time is like linear like that, the distortion of doing that is a good thing. So now I'm you know, rambling. Right. Uh, and well, then it's yeah. like, yeah, go ahead. And so well, time is like a social construct too. And then, yes. so I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, you're distorting the current time, right? You know, like you're, you're kind of yeah. shifting where you're at right now. So if you're stuck in something that you can't see clearly, you're distorting that stuckness so that you can see clearly if that's what makes sense and so mm -hmm. distorting it is sort of like i don't know shifting it or changing it right i mean really that's kind of what distorting it moving it shifting it changing it and there's you know one exercise i really love and i think it's recorded maybe somewhere on our louisville mindfulness center website um, as a free sort of guided meditation around it's the um movie theater uh exercise or whatever yeah. where you're in several different like conscious places or uh, subconscious places you know where if you imagine yourself if you have an issue like okay so part of this is like if there's something you're stuck with whether it's something very traumatic or something very lightly you know like something you're struggling with and you know you you walk into a movie theater and you're noticing like the smell of the theater, the popcorn, the stickiness of the floors, the velvet seats maybe, and you're sitting there in this movie theater and it's dark, lights go down, and all of a sudden you see a movie shown up on the screen and the movie is whatever the scenario is that you're wanting to uh, work on or get through or process. And so you're watching it there, you know, just noticing it happening uh, and you see it play out and you see all the people involved and, you know, what's happening and uh, all the different things. And then you decide to get up out of your seat and you walk out to the lobby and you find the stairs to the projection booth and you walk up to the projection stairs and you start to smell the projector going and it's hot up there and it's musty and it's dusty and you can see all the dust sort of in the light of the projector and you're seeing now this movie being uh projected onto the screen from a different angle right so now you're mm -hmm. seeing this movie and seeing all the players involved and you know all all the things that are happening and then you you maybe imagine the next step i use is you imagine that you're being transported onto the screen and now you're actually in the movie 
and you're there with all the um, characters and people and you get to decide what lines you want to say maybe differently or what another character says uh, differently or what you need to hear from them or how you need to respond to them or what you might want to do differently now that you're in the movie and you have an element of control over how you want this story told, right? Um, and so then, you know, from there, you kind of, you know, allow whatever process needs to happen, whatever else needs to be said or done. You know, usually this is a fairly quick process because it happens real quickly in the mind and the person's not mm -hmm. talking it through with you. They're just in the experience of it, you know, and then, you know, you bring them out back to, you know, we're back to the present moment and it can be, you know, you could, you know, the person could be bawling through the whole thing or, mm -hmm. you know, it can be a really powerful experience of whatever you go through, but you're, you're kind of distorting, you know, different things about how you see things and where you're at in time and space, right? That's sort of that distorting the time and space in a positive way so that it has a positive effect. I mean, I think everything we do in therapy and especially at the Mindfulness Center is for the best good of the client, whatever that might be, you know, our intention is always that it's going to be helpful and healing and you know, whatever the client's needing it to be. Mm -hmm. And why, because this is something that, you know, you are passionate about and obviously is skilled at, but makes sense to you. I'm going to use um, big, I'm a big movie guy. And one of my favorite movies, probably because I'm a therapist, but is Goodwill Hunting. And there's this scene in Goodwill Hunting that Matt Damon is describing you know, how he can be so good at math. And um, he was using, I, I can't remember a musician that has a quote that when he saw the piano keys, he just knew how to play. It just made sense to him. And Matt Damon was saying, gosh, when I see math problems, it just makes sense to me. I, I, I just know how to play. You know, with you, it seems like, gosh, okay, this, you, you, this just makes sense to you very much. You're very, uh, you know, you articulate it well and you maybe get in the trance kind of describing it and kind of while you're in it. Is there something about you that you feel like that makes you really drawn to this or um, skilled at it? Um, I think I think part of it's, you know, me being a high empath and, you know, highly intuitive. Um, you know, I feel like I can really sense when people are in discomfort and pain, you know, read people well, if you will. And so I really, you know, being a therapist, I want to help people out of their pain, you know, or their dis mm -hmm. discomfort. And so I think that's where, you know, just experimenting and learning all sorts of different ways to do that. And to me, it's important to not re-traumatize the client, you know, like people talk right, a lot about, right. you know, trauma, dealing with trauma and therapy and you know, I've done a lot of different things and, uh, you know, not want to bash any of them, but, you know, there are some techniques that looking back and I've had done to me with my own therapist where I'm like, you know, that really took me back through that trauma that was, you know, I'm, maybe it was helpful, but, um, you know, it was really hard at the time. And I'm not sure that's always necessary 
to process that trauma. And that's why I do like ex the Ericksonian hypnosis so much is that most people are living their trauma in their mind pretty regularly already. So if we as therapists can help them by just, you know, creating a, a place for them to process this in their mind in a different way where they don't necessarily have to talk it out. And maybe sometimes it is helpful to talk it out. I think it just depends on the person. Yeah. Um, it can be very empowering um, to say things out loud that you've never said out loud before. Um, but I just always want to read, you know, the client and see what's going to mm -hmm. be in their best interest or just throw it out there and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking or here's what I'm sensing. What do you think about that? You know, or here's some options. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, so, yeah, I think, you know, I think that's why it's, it was important for me. I know we were talking about, um, you know, energy healing and all that stuff, too, is. I just see all of this so interconnected of what I'm doing or what, you know, the work I do is, you know, really shifting people in a way that is, is sloughing off the shit, you know, like it's just removing maybe these layers of guilt or shame or, you know, grief. I mean, I've had, you know, a client I worked with who had been grieving the loss of a parent for years. And we did some really interesting and, you know, I would say it was intense, but I did it in a really gentle way. So like, it was mm -hmm. almost like the person didn't even know it was happening. And, you know, the, the reliving the anniversary of the loved one's death, you know, in that year that we were really working you know, it really sort of reprocessed it. So now, you know, I've seen her multiple years after that. And so it's like, you know, it's not as, not that it's not a big deal, you know, when your parent dies, right. but it's sort of like it's, it wasn't as intense as it had been for years, you know, before we really did some important work. So it's, I think part of me, you know, and I think for me, I really. Well, can, can, can I ask a question oh, yeah. quick, real quick? Sure. Just while you're mentioning that with grief. And so if I'm, you know, a client in your office and you're about to kind of help me with, with like reprocessing, which could be scary. If you if you had to help me kind of conceptualize, you know, what what of like how how are we gonna make this grief better? Yeah. Well, yes. I think sometimes what I've seen most recently is the grief can be complicated by other things like anxiety right. or, you know, a relationship issue or something. And so the grief has, because it might be newer or more, you know, it's, that's the thing that's being focused on, but really what might need to be hap happen is, you know, uh, either they focus on anxiety, like have someone come in who had, had was having multiple panic attacks a day mm -hmm. and had just lost a loved one and everyone was saying like you need to move on you need to you know and she was you know so i think you know focusing on you know maybe sometimes we put things on the shit shelf for a minute so that we can focus on something else and you know relieve some of that panic you know attacks and stuff which hypnosis ericksonian stuff is so good at doing you know very quickly um 
and giving them some relief there. And then also normalizing grief around like, of course, Mm -hmm. you're going to be hurting. And the first year after the loss of a, a person, a pet, a relationship, maybe even a job. I mean, like all the different things that first year you're celebrating all the different anniversaries and all the different holidays and all the things that you would normally celebrate either with that person or pet or, you know, in that specific job or whatever. And so, you know, normalizing that this is going to be a process. And in the meantime, let's get your panic or anxiety under control, or let's help this relationship you know, become a little bit smoother. And then, you know, the support of the grief on top of that. I don't know. What Mm -hmm. about for you and grief? Have you noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very much so. And that's, that's very well said. And again, coming from the mindfulness land, that grief, which is very uncomfortable and very difficult to process because of all the uncomfortabilities and the, the help it could get from panic attacks, anxiety, anger, um, you know, the five stages is kind of pretty common. And, and so one thing with grief is like how we have form a relationship with it, because it's so easy and natural to see it as bad, negative, or I'm going to resist it. That kind of what we have talked about before. Yeah. And so the normalizing part is key, but really developing the the relationship with it. And a lot of it comes from what we talked about too, of of not not judging and observing, maybe even appreciating. And so, if and this is not something we would do, you know, first couple sessions, it'd be down the line. But when we get to a safe place that we can reprocess it, it it we might feel sad, we might feel hurt, we might feel angry, but the the ability to do that without judging or having behaviors that whether it's pushing it away or making it hard to process by, by doing that and feeling and letting the emotions kind of filter through us, we then begin to kind of process. And it's a much healthier way, again, without the judging or some of the behaviors like that, that can make it linger or persist as, as, as you say so well. Right. And so that's kind of the, really, I think the few stepping stones um, as it relates to grief, I bring up so much that the loss of self and grief can really create a loss of self, but maybe more of, of connection to what we have lost that comes into to grief. So whether it's a part of us, a job, a person, we need to then enhance some sort of connection to it, whether it's something spiritual or something uh, like a ritual of connection that, you know, each time I, uh, you know, wake up in the morning, I'm going to be grateful for another breath, another day, but then also who has influenced my life. And if it's a family member who's passed, like that's part of this ritual of connection um, that gives me meaning because you have said, and I'm going to butcher this, that energy is not, I, you, you might need to tell me, but again, remind me, energy is not something that's destroyed. Yeah. Created right? or destroyed. I mean, it's something that's already there. It's just like, it starts it either, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. It's and I butcher it myself. But yeah, I mean, if it's not destroyed, it has to go somewhere. And so the grief is, you know, that's why I like that saying of grief is love with no place to go, you know? And so that's so if we can channel that love either towards ourself and become Mm -hmm. more gentle with ourselves, which is very loving and compassionate, uh, which I think is huge in in grief because we're like, 
we should, and we start shooting all over ourselves, we should get back to work and we should act like a normal person and function normally and want to do all these things. But the reality is, you know, if something big has shifted in your life and how do you honor that, you know, and sometimes it is hard to kind of just slow ourselves down or be slowed down and, you know, be reminded of difficult things like the passing of a person or, you know, the loss of your job or whatever it might be, you know, loss of a marriage or relationship. But I think those are and, no buts, and, yes, and, yes, and, um, you know, I think it's important to feel those feelings because I think we, we if we give them a, a touch of attention, instead of trying to ignore them, I think when we ignore, it builds them up more and it they'll come oh, yeah. out sideways, right? Like it'll, it'll, you know, you'll, you're either stuffing it down and at some point it's going to explode because it's, you know, a lot of pressure, but, you know, allowing the tears to come when they come or, you know, if you're in a space where you're just feeling really apathetic, just kind of go with it and give that a little attention and say, you know, today's, feeling like a hard day and I'm I'm just going to acknowledge that it's a hard day and get through the day and or the hour or this the morning or however you want to kind of again sort of put it in a block of time that's you know maybe part of this time distortion is you know it's not like you have to be in the tears for the rest of your life but sometimes it feels that way because it might feel like you're a little bit out of control and the tears maybe feel like it's something you can't control. So we go back to maybe the idea of being intentional and saying, okay, I'm gonna have this moment of sadness and tears and just let it come and see where it goes. And, you know, perhaps it's gonna last me a few minutes. It might not last an hour, you know, but we'll see where it goes. And then, but allowing it to sort of pass through you. I like the idea of emotions in motion right like so mm -hmm. we need those emotions to kind of work themselves through us and be in motion versus them being stuck or stagnant um you know because i think that that allows them to you know us to release them more appropriately versus getting them stuck and then you know kind of maybe coming out sideways yeah i really like how you put that there's a mindfulness peace within kind of thoughts that seeing ourselves i heard before seeing ourselves as a train station and the thoughts are the train and we just observe the train go by and sometimes the train comes and just stops at the train station and we think we have to think our way through it and solve it and fix it and just analyze the thought but i'm gonna i'm gonna use that train station analogy and somewhere different i like what you said that the, the emotions in motion so if if there's an emotion that comes to our station and just parks itself, a goal should be let's keep the traffic flowing of the trains and you know kind of make it go kind of in motion, keep everything in motion because one things are much more easily hand, handled, I think, or kind of controlled, whatever we want to say, processed. When I if it's depression or sadness that I'm feeling for an hour versus a train of sadness sitting for two days a week a month what have you and helping kind of move that through and it seems like you know processing letting a little bit out at a time help creates momentum to, to right. have the motion 
Well, and that's what I think is interesting about going to that place of curiosity of like, wow, I've been sad for a long time. You know, what is the sadness? What do I need to learn or know about this sadness? Maybe, you know, I, I'm feeling like I was really wronged and I'm feeling really hurt about that. And I'm, you know, in that sort of hurt and lonely kiddo space that we talk about with the hand handout. Um, mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, just noticing. And I think that's what I like also about mindfulness. And I think you said this really well. I love, I love that idea of the train station. I'd never heard that before. So well done, Rob. Um, but uh, the idea that, <clears throat> yeah, the noticing is like noticing and maybe even sort of like a, a naming it of like, or, you know, oh, I'm noticing this sadness is here right now. And you know, I'm going to feel this sadness and then I'm going to imagine, a, you know, mm -hmm. like it's a bird flying away. It's a cloud in the sky floating by the leaf in this leaf in the stream floating by um, so that you kind of see it moving maybe away um, or that there is movement with it. Right. So that it doesn't mm -hmm. mean it has to be stuck. Um, but I love that idea of the train station and keeping mm -hmm. keeping things moving, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's, if, yeah. And it's not moving, you know, those shoulds, like it should be moving. Well, you know, you're shooting all over yourself of, you know, okay, it could move. It could be parked here for a little bit. Maybe it needs a little attention. Maybe the train mm -hmm. needs to be serviced or it needs um, something cleaned or, you know, I don't know if, trains these days use fuel i don't know how that works it's probably electric <laughs> or, <laughs> but you know uh refueled is what i was thinking but um you know i mean it doesn't have to look one certain way i think that's right. the big thing in mindfulness is just noticing how does it look right now or how does it feel right now and you know, how does that feel that it feels that way? You're kind of that meta place. And then sort of wondering, like, what would I, what would I rather like it to feel like instead? Or what do I need to know about that? Kind of that curiosity place, which can really help shift you when you get curious, you know, you're wondering, I wonder, I wonder when this will sort of lighten, you know, when this grief will lighten or the sadness will lighten, or I wonder you know, what needs to happen for that to get lighter, you know, or start to float away or whatever the thing is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am going to change the subject and okay. I'm going to get weird, get, get weird. Okay. We're talking about time and time and space and everything. And I think it could lead to interesting discussion, but do you think that time travel is possible? Um, I mean, I guess, yes, like, I think more in the mind, clearly, right, like traveling in the mm -hmm. mind. I mean, I have some really crazy dreams, like, I don't know about other people, but like, I have dreams where I am living like a parallel life, and it feels so real. And it feels like, you know, things that are would happen in my normal life, you know, and so that makes me wonder about the time travel type stuff. But um, 
I don't know. That's an interesting question. I don't know if I really thought too hard about that. But I do think the time distortion kind of is that time travel where you're traveling ahead or behind. What do you well, think? Let me. Well, yeah, I, I I think so, uh, and especially just from from a physics standpoint. And I'm not an expert that how time is can be stretched and maneuvered. Uh, you know who a movie that's done the research again. I'm not bringing up another movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a Matthew McConaughey one, but now I can't even remember. But any point oh. being, but let me ask you this. So what if, you know, if time travel did exist, where would you like to go in the past or future? Where would you, and let's, let's just say not to visit yourself, but maybe just to experience. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I've never really thought about that before which is interesting because I tend to think about things a lot. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it could be curious to be around in like Jesus's time to see like Jesus mm -hmm. actually do, you know, who he was and how he taught, you know, as an experience. I don't know if I'd want to stay there, you know, or mm -hmm. be, or if I was a woman, like, am I a woman? Do I get to choose? Am I, you know, not necessarily a woman? Um, and just observing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I really, there's a piece of me that really resists wanting to be anywhere but where I'm at currently. Well, you that's know? probably mindfulness, the mindfulness in you. Well, I do. I think it might, it, you know, like if I go too far forward, am I going to ruin if I if I see something and know and I have to come back to this time, am I going to mm -hmm. kind of ruin like if I knew when I was going to die or something, you know, like or if I saw my kids, you know, do whatever they're going to do in life in 30 years or something, you know, would I not be able to come back and enjoy this moment right now? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or what if hopefully everyone is listening that's non-judging this is just hypothetical but it can be sensitive what if you go back for example into jesus's time and jesus is a woman and it conflicts with everything that's maybe been taught or changes the meaning making like that can be yeah interesting as well well especially if you brought that information back with you like oh I'm gosh I'm I, I don't and then you're like trying today. to convince people you know no. <laughs> I, I if i if i learned that i would even convince people because of how polarized and digging their feet in people are now with their beliefs um, yeah. yeah i mean i guess people whether whether there's evidence to support it or not just how like here's my meaning making system and i am not budging Right. And there's like so much resistance that, yeah, if you try to share that information, uh, it's, it, gosh, that would be a nightmare. Well, the thing that this is kind of bringing up for me is this idea of flexibility of thinking versus rigidity of thinking. Like mm -hmm. we're kind of just in a wondering place. Like I wonder it, what it would be like, right? And part of that has to do with the flexibility of thinking that we have, right? This sort of mm -hmm. non-judgmental, um, uh, you know, open-mindedness, like open to the what ifs, you know, what if Jesus mm -hmm. was a woman, you know, like somebody who would be a little bit more rigid in thinking might say, 
oh, that's that's totally not the case. And we're, and we're not saying that it's the case. We're just saying that what if, like, right? So, you know, sometimes I think, you know, and I and we've talked about this, I think, before, is that the rigidity of thinking can sometimes feel really, one, uncomfortable to have or even be around sometimes, right? Like, to me, just talking about rigidity gives me kind of a knot in my stomach, right? And I may or may not have known myself in the past to be a fairly rigid person, like, because I needed control, right? I had very high anxiety, I needed an element of control, you know, like high school and that whole time and thought I could myself, you know, create that mm -hmm. control. But I think now the older I've gotten, I feel like I have even more control in some ways, being more open minded, because it's kind of like, I have no idea. I don't have no <laughs> real idea what the if there is an answer, or, if, you know, maybe everybody has their own answer. Um, and I can have that sort of flexibility or openness to say, I have, I have no idea. The, the more I know, the less I know, or whatever. Yeah. What's the saying you say? Uh, like knowing what you should know what and what you don't know. Like, gosh, now yes. you have me confused. I know that I know nothing. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And, and I, so I'm going to shout out uh, uh, you know, personal idol, idol, hero, whatever. So Jack Johnson, one came out with a new album recently talking about a song, very good song. I recommend everyone to go listen to it called Open Mind. Ooh. And it's talking about, yeah, a little bit of the how we need to kind of be flexible, obviously, in this day and age. But then he was interviewed, and I guess kind of in the creative trance, the flow state they are in with this band, you know, they, they talk about and process the song and Donkey Night take on meaning. And he, then he was also saying, one, yeah, how important it is to have the open mind. It's, it's a landmark of compassion and empathy, the flexibility. It does so many wonderful things for us and uh, the culture we're in because we're pack animals, but also the dangers of being too flexible, like having too much of an open mind, where if we're too flexible, then maybe these natural protections, defense mechanisms don't get activated that, you know, if I'm having too much of an open mind, where there's my belief system could take me to the ends of the earth, like that could be a, a problem too. Um, and I thought that was really interesting, because Everything now, again, both, you know, there are the elections are coming up, everyone on both sides, like be open minded, be open minded. And we're, we're seeing um, I, I, maybe they, they haven't before, but it just seems so different now. But, I, you know, things we haven't seen in a long time, maybe if not before, like January 6th, the storming yeah. the Capitol and how much is too much of keeping an open mind where going into like the QAnon belief and, and further into that and going deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, and I, I just thought that was interesting. So I didn't mean to take yeah. it there. But. Well, I think, you know, the idea of this dichotomous like Democrats and Republicans is interesting um, versus like who is a person, you know, like the the categorizing can kind of be limiting if you will right like um versus maybe understanding a person's uh I, i'm really curious about all this political stuff honestly um i find it really interesting and how people get to where they get to either one 
belief wise, you know, but how they show up as a person with that. Like if you're, if you show up with a lot, I can see where there can be a lot of intensity, right? That And that intensity might show up as anger, but when it gets to the point of like hate and it's like really, um, you know, there's like either groups of people that somebody hates or that they've never met before, like that's so interesting to me for people to just automatically go there. Um, well, I want to say, I want to say, I know we got to go, but this, yeah. uh, this is a very important. And, and you know how much I appreciate Dan Siegel and he, yeah. you know, Dan Siegel is this guy, uh, he calls himself an interpersonal neurobiologist, very fascinating, but, but how empathy is accessed in the brain. And he kind of did this study of these, uh, concentration camp guards and how they could uh, do these horrible things and come back and then play with their dogs and their family and empathize kind of, kind of with them. And that, Empathy is kind of the research has shown, which makes total sense, much more activated when we um, are familiar with a group of people can understand or feel like we belong. Yes. That's naturally that why people with similar belief systems come and kind of herd together. And then you uh, have groups think really, really develop and get out of control. And that right. happens within humans because we're much more to empathize with people, again, who are like us. You know, race, gender, class, um, belief system, socioeconomics, we're more likely to empathize because we fit in, we feel understood, we receive the empathy as well as give it, which then makes us more connected, which then also unfortunately then makes it easier to alienate or have contempt or resentment for the people that we, we don't. And it's a human, I don't know if it's a flaw, but it's just something that happens that empathy right. is just easily, not for everybody, but easily more triggered when we under, when we were with people like us. Right. Well, that's interesting. Cause I, I like the idea. So there's a group here called in, interfaith paths to peace and they, uh, the group do a thing called the big table where they have this meal with, you know, thousands of people. And the idea that you would come together with people you don't know to try to get to know from different faith traditions, cultural traditions. And I think there's that idea of, you know, if there is something that kind of scares you or, you know, you feel sort of, you know, worried about, wouldn't it be interesting to be curious about, I wonder how I could feel more comfortable around that person. And usually the idea of sharing a meal, right? There's the, something about sharing your food tradition or your, a conversation around a meal. Um, but that's something I've been thinking a lot about too, that, that could, you know, get to know people and build empathy too. Well said. Okay. All right. Now, we got to go. Everybody. We got to go. Listening. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>